0: This show furnished by Key Light Counseling Center.
1: You're listening to The Shrink and the Showman with Dr. Jeet.
0: And before we start, I want to wish everyone a Happy New Year. It's about to come up. And yes, we are here with The Shrink and The Showman. Our number is 1-800-222-5222. You could also email us at engage790 at gmail.com. Follow us on social media at The Dr. G Show. That's for Facebook and Instagram, at Dr. Gluss for Twitter. And uh, you can catch us online stream on Facebook at The Dr. G Show. I used to like the old days where you just gave out your fax number. I know, yes. Half the show is gone by now, and I just give the contact information. But I'm very excited to have Sylvester McCoy on. He's an actor, juggler, and most importantly, a ferret wrangler. He's the seventh doctor in the Doctor Who TV series and... Radagast R-radagast
2: the Brown in the Hobbit movie. So I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you. i was delighted to be here.
0: So you told me before we started the show that in Europe uh, or in Northern Europe, there's something we need to know about New Year's Eve.
2: Yes. Well, in, in Scotland, we call it Hogmanay. I don't know if you've known that. But no, in I Germany didn't. and Sweden and various other call it, they call it Sylvester. Oh, okay, so happy Sylvester. Yeah, so it's happy Sylvester to everyone out there from Sylvester. You know what? I'm going to do that from now on. Yes, you must. And uh, it's since it's Sylvester Day, I think. That's the reason why.
0: It's sort of like Boxing Day. Americans don't know about Boxing Day. So oh, yes. now they're going to know about Boxing Day too and Sylvester Day.
2: Yeah, that's right. Boxing Day. We don't box each other. We, what
0: we, exactly is the meaning of Boxing Day? Do you what,
2: know? Well, uh, yeah, it is a bit vague, but I believe it's when you opened the boxes with your presence in it.
0: That's what I thought, too, yeah. as a uh, fellow...
2: So sort of. you, you celebrated Christmas and you know, didn't demean yourself to go, you know, open the presents until you'd eaten and drunk well. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Put the butler to sleep.
0: Yes, and then you take the boxes and you bring yeah. them back to the store, I su- assume.
2: Oh, yeah. (laughs) You don't like them. (laughs) Actually, no, the children play with the boxes and throw away their toys.
0: (laughs) That's true. Or their parents that go with it. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So I wanted to ask you this question. You know, as a psychologist, I get a lot of people writing me in and they ask me questions like, especially here in Hollywood, I want to become an actor. I want to have a long career in the entertainment industry. I'm wondering what advice you could give me. So... As uh, someone who's had a very long and great career in the industry, uh, why don't we start with that? What advice would you give to someone who is starting a career and wanting to maintain it?
2: Okay, well, you don't want to make money. Okay, That's the first one <laughs> because only a small proportion of actors actually make a very, very, very decent living. But it's um, you know, it's like if you wanted to become a priest, uh, it's a, a calling. It's not something you can just do. You have to commit yourself 100%. Um, so that's, that's interesting
0: it. you said about being a priest because yeah. I know that that was something uh, you had started to want to pursue in the early part of your life.
2: Yes. No, I went to a seminary from the age of 11 till I was 17, training to be the pope, and um, okay. well, I had ambitions. How did that go? <laughs> I had ambitions above my uh, station, but that, uh, then um, I decided not to do it. But very good training for acting, you know, if you want to be become a priest and, you know, then then move over to becoming an actor. And also theater grew out of the church.
0: Right. So well, in a lot of, of ways, the church
2: is all about theater. It is. That's what attracted me. In the Highlands of Scotland where I live, there wasn't much theater. And I remember thinking, wow, look at that costume he's got up there. And everybody's sitting here <laughs> listening to him. <laughs> and I want to do that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. I want to perform. Yes. <laughs> so
2: I'm sorry you never made it as pope. Well, yeah, there was a reason, you see, because after I decided I became so holy, I got housemaid's knee from praying. And (laughs) then I decided that I was going to leave and become a monk instead. So I left the seminary and went home. And then uh, letters arrived saying we'd filled in forms. And then they said, oh, big problem. You're a year too young, so you can't become a monk until you're 18. So I had to go to school, and the local school was Dunoon Grammar School, and it was a mixed-sex school. And so after a short time, I decided to give up wearing a skirt and started chasing it instead. (laughs) And that was the end of my Pope dream.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm, I'm uh, you know, here in Hollywood, you can actually do both. You can wear a skirt and you can chase a skirt
2: and all that is good. Yes, but that was a way back in the 60s. Right. So, uh, you know, you could wear in Scotland a skirt, but it was called a kilt.
0: Yes. And having been in Scotland, I did see many of those. And I always thought it could be quite a draft.
2: So. Well yes yes there is we draft when you are running across the mountains. Okay. So you
0: said you said something interesting Sylvester for me at least you said there was a connection between being a priest and being a performer, being an actor—I uh, wonder if you can elaborate
2: on that a little bit. Well, it's a, um, I think acting is—you're—you're you're, you're born with it, and you can't learn it. That's one thing. What you can learn are the skills, the craft, to, the craft. But you—you—you you, know—you you are in a sense born as a storyteller. And when I say it, it's like being a priest, it's—you um, it's, know—it is a calling. It's—you uh, have to give up everything for it, you know.
0: Do you think that, you know, especially in the theatre, when you're performing on stage, in a lot of ways, that is like a sense of giving and a sense of uh, sharing yourself with the audience, which is really very much of what a priest would do.
2: Yes, indeed, yes. It's very much in that way connected. And um, it is opening yourself up and showing, you know, emotions. It's also a place to hide. If you're shy, become an actor. Because then you could be whatever you want to yeah. be. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I worked with Lance Olivier, and he was a shy man.
0: Yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah, actually. He, so, he, tell me more about that experience. I, I'm sure my love, my love, my audience. There was a forty in slip. Yeah.
2: <laughs> your lovely audience. You're my
0: lovely audience. Yeah. Um, hopefully, by the end of this interview, I'll be doing a very bad Scottish accent. But uh, who knows? <laughs> yes. But the experience of working with Olivier—you've got to roll your I'll Roll your arse. my R's. Is okay, that, Is that uh, rude? <laughs> no, 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 we can say that. All right, oh, that's good. <laughs> Olivia, can you tell us a little bit about what that experience was like?
2: Well, actually, it wasn't a very pleasant experience working with Lance Olivier, I'm sad to say. I was in the film Dracula with Frank Langella, Lance Olivier, and it was um, John Badham directed it. And I had a kind of a, a nice little part in it. But I arrived with a comedy, um, with a bag full of comedy skills And it turned out they didn't want that. But when I first met Lance Olivier, we were in the west of England and Cornwall for 17 weeks in the winter. It was dur and drich and drab. I, I loved it. Say, I'm a Scotsman. We I, like I, I that love kind of it. thing. I know, I know. Anyway, I like, we, uh, we were... Don't give me the sun. <laughs> <laughs> and so, anyway, uh, I walked into the bar one the very first night, and everyone was sitting around, Donald Pleasance and Frank Lange, and everyone, and I and I said, anyone like a drink? And no one, I was a bit shy, but no one responded. And so I said louder, anyone want a drink? I'm a Scotsman. I might not ask again. And Livy turned around and said to me, oh, do sit down, Sylvester, and stop showing off. (laughs) And that was the beginning of our relationship. And and, and did it it obviously continued on that way. Oh, yeah. There was a scene we had to do where I, um, Frank, well, Dracula had sucked Lucy's neck, and Van Helsing was called upon to come along and do something about it and with his steak. And I was a resident lunatic in the house. Oh, look, typecast. Yes, I know. <laughs> so I was the resident lunatic, and so I was carrying the garlic. And we came along. Um, it was just a, a connecting shot between one scene and the other. It was the entrance of Van Helsing and myself, and that was all they wanted. So the camera was f- facing the door. We came along. Lights, action, everything. We were all ready. We did the action. We came along. of Levy thumped me uh, so that I didn't hit, go through the door but went hit the wall and he walked in through the door all by himself. He wasn't going <laughs> to share the screen with me.
0: <laughs> and, and, and being sort of the legend that he was, you kind of have to let him
2: Well, take... yes, but if you see the film in okay. the next scene, I am out of focus at the window scraping garlic, out and up and down the window and um, an, an actor in Britain who was a great Lonzo Olivier fan went, met me and said, you know, you're the first person I've ever seen up, upstage Lance Olivier, and you weren't even in focus.
0: <laughs> I'm proud to say. Uh, okay, so that will uh, go down as, uh, as one of your legends. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, you've had others and one of the things I wanted to get to quickly was you are the seventh Doctor Who. And that was, I'm sure, quite an interesting experience because as I told people that you were coming on, people were very excited to hear about your experience as being the seventh Doctor Who and also what it was like to inherit that role from other people.
2: Oh, Yes. When I got it, I got it out of ignorance because in those days there was no recordings. It was only shown once and I was working in the theatre so I hadn't seen it for years. So I arrived not knowing too much about it um, and not realising that I had actually been given the hamlet of television like in Hamlet yeah, every really, year yeah. there's a new Hamlet there's a new thing and I didn't realize this and I didn't realize how much pressure that would be which was a great thing my ignorance was bliss in that way so I just entered it and uh, reinterpreted it my own way without any baggage of knowledge of the past and later on the producers of the 21st century doctors have said to me that my doctor changed the journey it became darker and more mysterious and um the, the question mark came back the who and who came back.
0: You bring up a great point, and I wanted to elaborate that with my audience just from a psychological point of view, that, you know, as a psychologist, a lot of times uh, I'll get people wanting to tell me about a patient. And I'll say, well, don't tell me about that patient. I want to go into that experience with a fresh mind and get a sense of who they really are. I don't want someone to color my experience with their experience. And I think that's a very powerful thing to be able to do is... It's brave on your part, but it's also a very powerful experience because then you bring a freshness to the experience that people didn't expect.
2: Yes, no, I, I, that's I didn't realize. And I know that we never know time. It. Yeah. until later, and then people inform me that that's what had happened.
0: We're going to take a quick break, Sylvester. When we get yeah. back, we're going to talk more about Doctor Who. Yeah, I'm Doctor G, the other Doctor, <laughs> not Doctor Who.
2: Dr. Doctor Doctor
0: Doctor Doctor, and we'll be back right after the commercials. Thank you.
1: Hey Los Angeles, the holidays are here. You know what that means. There's more traffic and it's harder to find parking. Luckily, there's ParkMobile. With the ParkMobile app, you can easily pay for parking while you're doing your holiday shopping. And you can extend your time in the app. ParkMobile is all around the city, downtown, Hollywood, UCLA campus, and more. Even use ParkMobile to make parking reservations for shows at the Greek theater. Download the ParkMobile app and discover a smarter way to park in LA. Wendy's has been showing everyone how to do fast food right for 50 years. And now they're showing them how two for fives are done with Wendy's two for five. It's the only one where you can get Wendy's fresh, never frozen beef and that Wendy's spicy chicken you crave. Pick two for five bucks. Choose between the Juicy Dave Single, the Tasty Spicy Chicken Sandwich, 10-Piece Crispy, or Spicy Nuggets. Come in today and taste how a real two-for-five is done, only at Wendy's. Fresh beef available in the contiguous U.S., Alaska, and Canada. Price and participation may vary for a limited time only. Technology Truths, brought to you
3: by GEICO. Technology Truths. Truth, you will certainly send any text about your supervisor to your supervisor.
2: What's with Janet Spang's?
4: Did she lose a bet with a weed whacker? <laughs> LOL.
3: And scent. Wait, no, 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 no. Truth. It's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at Geico.com. Janet, I think my phone was hacked or something.
1: Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Wendy's has been showing everyone how to do fast food right for 50 years. And now they're showing them how two for fives are done with Wendy's two for five. It's the only one where you can get Wendy's fresh, never-frozen beef and that Wendy's spicy chicken you crave. Pick two for five bucks. Choose between the Juicy Dave Single, the Tasty Spicy Chicken Sandwich, 10-Piece Crispy, or Spicy Nuggets. Come in today and taste how a real two-for-five is done, only at Wendy's. Fresh beef available in the contiguous U.S. Alaska and Canada. Price and participation may vary for a limited time only. AM 790 ABC to The Shrink and The Showman with Dr. G.
0: Hi, I'm Dr. G. We're here with The Shrink and The Showman. Our number again is 1-800-222-5222. Email is engage790 at gmail.com. We're here with Sylvester McCoy. We're talking about his experience on uh, Doctor Who. Before we get back to it, I want to highlight something that Sylvester said in the last segment that for a lot of people out there who are thinking of becoming an actor or uh, having a vocation in the entertainment industry... If you feel very connected to it, if you feel like that's your calling, that is probably something you should do. And, you know, in some ways, the money and how it all works out and how it all plays out will figure itself out. But going after that calling is very important, especially for someone like myself who sees a lot of people in therapy. I find that when people pursue something that actually is their passion and makes them happy, they tend to have less depression and a better life. That's my thoughts on it. Your thoughts, Sylvester, because you were telling me at the break the impact that Doctor Who had around the world.
2: Yes, it was something I didn't realize. Um, when I started traveling the world and going to meet fans all over the world, you know, them, I've been to Brazil and Australia and see, everywhere, really, all over America, one of the common themes were people coming up to me telling me how it affected their lives, how it saved them, through when traumatic times when they were young, you know, they were getting bullied at school and the you know, the thought of Doctor Who, and somehow the inspiration of this little this little alien who comes down and battles up and by himself and get, makes his way through to help the the world and the universe um, that inspired them. But also there was there was this wonderful connection. They would say, "Oh, I love Doctor. Who. I watched it with my nan." And when they're saying that, you can see them in front of the telly, cozied up, you know, whenever it came on, and that had a Great meaning and, and bonding between them, and the family bonding, and it's all to do with the TV program. And I, I didn't know this. I just, you know, tried to learn the lines and like, bump, like into the right, right, yeah. bump into the monsters. Yeah, into the or bump into. No, them. yes, my job was to, to, bump to bump into, into, into them. them. Yes, yes, I had to bump into them.
0: Two great points you bring up that a lot of people experience. I think this is was the uh, sort of the power of Doctor Who yeah. is that you have someone who maybe feels ostracized and is not part yeah. of. Quote, the norm, yeah, and how they're able to make their way in the world, and like you said, bump into monsters and deal with them. Yeah. Psychologically, that's so much of the process that so many people go through,
2: yeah. That yeah. experience,
0: so I could see the intense connection why people would connect with you, yeah. and also
2: it bonds a family together. Indeed, that was the wonderful thing, and, and there's a great can, warmth when they talk about it.
0: Now, I know you've worked with a lot of other you mentioned uh, um. Lance Olivier. Yes, you see you and <laughs> I already blanked him out of my mind. <laughs> yeah. I... You've worked with some other very famous people. I'm wondering if there are any stories or anecdotes you want to share with our audience.
2: Well, yes, I suppose um, uh, the latest great theatrical night of the theatre um, is... Um, um, Ian McKellen. I've just finished oh, work. Oh, absolutely. With yeah. I'm in The Hobbit, you know, and he was yes, Gandalf and I was the radic- yes. Brown. Yes. And um, uh, working with him was a pain in the neck. Okay. Now, the reason for that is that we worked together. Uh, we toured the world doing King Lear. Is this an English-Scottish thing? That's no, not a- well, okay, it'll come to you in, <laughs> in a minute. He was, was a pain in the neck because we worked for a year and a half uh, with, in King Lear. We toured the world and we filmed it. And then I worked with him for three years on The Hobbit. He's over six feet tall, and I'm small. So for all those years, at my neck—I had to keep looking up at him, and he gave me a pain in the neck. A literal pain, literal in, the pain in the neck. I mean, he wasn't a pain in the neck to work with in the the figurative sense, but no, he was a pain in the neck as far as being in, such a tall fellow. In the literal fellow, sense. In the literal sense.
0: What was sort of that emotional or psychological experience working with him?
2: Well, he's got great. Um, Generosity off the stage. I mean, he's really generous. He uh, he's very brave because he, he came out. Um, you know when it was quite difficult to do so, and he um, he, he he's now touring, doing a one man show around Britain. All the money goes to theatres. You know that. Uh, so he, he 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 did something which really was wonderful, which affects LA. We were too, we came into LA to do King Lear. I played the fool to his Lear, and uh, we all went on a trip to. Korea town, where there was a school there and the teacher there taught his class through Shakespeare. So he, that was part of his thing. And Ian secretly financed a lot of it. No one knows this. I've just told this and everybody knows it now. It's is terrible. He'd hate me for it. So he was incredibly generous in that kind of way.
0: It's funny you say that, because I remember many years ago, he did a one-man show in uh, L.A., and it was at the Geffen, which is now the Geffen Theatre, the Westwood Theatre, mm-hmm. and there was a part of his show that he asked people to come on stage, yeah. and I had the experience of being one of those people oh, wow. who came on stage, and yes, I do remember he was very tall, because I'm also... Yeah, and you had pain a pain very... in the neck
2: when you got off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Literally.
0: But I rem- I don't remember exactly what he had me do, but whatever it was, I remember thinking... He's helping me out so much in this process. Yeah. He's like taking care of me while I'm doing this. Yeah. And I think that's a, a, a corner mark of being a good actor. Is yeah. that, and it's great to hear that it also translated into his personal life.
2: He can be a bit of a devil on the stage, though. In what respect? Well, I, uh, when you're in King Lear, I came up with this gag. In Shakespeare, in the play... Shakespeare's written about an egg, the, the fool takes an egg and breaks it in half, and to indicate to the king, Leah, that he's c- cut his kingdom in half, and how ridiculous that is. Right. Well, there was a bit where uh, Ian sat down, so I came up with the idea that I'd put a rubber egg underneath him as he sat down, and so when it came to the egg gag, I'd pick him up and go, book, 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 and he'd laid an egg, <laughs> you know, which, you know, and, and so Trevor Nunn, who was directing, he thought it was a great gag, and right. you know, it wasn't Shakespeare's, it was Sylvester McCoy's gag, but right. He had laid an egg. You know, he split his kingdom in two. And there's going to be disaster. So he, but Ian kind of didn't quite like that too much. But he had to do it because Trevor loved it. Right. Anyway, so we're we coming into New York and uh, Ian was getting a bit nervous because the last time he was there, the New York critics hadn't been too kind to him, which was ridiculous because he, he had been brilliant as Richard III. But anyway, he was a bit, you know, tense. Well, so one night I he got up and the egg had disappeared and I said, I was looking everywhere, where's the egg? Where, where's it gone? And then suddenly he said, "Oh, is this what you're looking for? And then he, he threw it up into the air and I was a bit discombobulated, so it bounced. And then I was going to say it. it probably bounced. It <laughs> bounced and then I caught it and then I said to him, look, nuncle, the floor, it is made of rubber. <laughs> and he came off and said afterwards, "I'll never do that again." Yes,
0: I, I think that's improvised. I don't think Shakespeare knew what rubber was. No, I'm sure he
2: didn't. But uh, yeah. it was improvised. I improvised it. Uh, no, and that's a very brave <laughs> choice that you made. So I think it's great. Well, it was just that I didn't want the audience to think that the egg was rubber. So something had to be rubber. So it had to be the floor.
0: Exactly. Uh, what about your experience in the Hobbit?
2: Well, that was um, well, that was a wonderful experience, really. The, kind of the journey to the Hobbit started 12 years earlier when I was up for Bilbo Baggins in Lord of the Rings, and you know as they, they whittled down about how many actors they saw and screen tested and they kept testing and they kept phoning my agent and said no he's still in the picture not meaning <laughs> the film but actually the the, 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 running. the, the running so um, and it went right down to the last two and I didn't know who the other one was but it turned to be the great Ian Holm. And I remember being disappointed, but at the same time flattered to have been thought I was in his, at it his is, level. Because right. if he had asked for too much money, I would have been Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> so then maybe 12 years later, The Hobbit comes along and I screen test for um, Radagast the Brown. And when I went to meet um, Peter Jackson, he said to me, he so, said, well, uh, this is a bigger part than, you know, than uh, so... That was, was. it a bigger part?
0: I think so. People
2: say it was. You know, I'm an actor. I wanted the biggest part,
0: uh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, and, and in some ways, the most money is always nice too. Yes, the money was quite nice. <laughs> yes, I see. Uh, Our audience can't see that you're smiling right now. <laughs> um, what What about your experience uh, in the states? Have Have, uh, have you done, much, uh, you know, in, in theater here? I know you're here now on a visit. I was just curious. Yeah. Uh, any recent projects that you want to share with our audience, or any recent
2: well, theater I did, that you're doing? Yeah. I mean, I when I I did like, I did King Lear. We toured. Uh, we did New York, um, min, Minneapolis, the Guthrie Theater. We we played L. A. We played. Um, where else did we do? I thought it was the fourth one. But anyway, anyway, that, uh, what I love is playing to an American audience. I also did a play at BAM years before, which was Calderon's Life Is a Dream, which is the kind of the Spanish Hamlet, and in it again, I was the fool. <laughs> yeah, it seems so best that you're getting typecast. Yes. <laughs> Did I, you start figuring that part out? No, I can't see why they see this in me. I'm tall, dark, and handsome, as you can see. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Imagine the radio. Yes. <laughs> and so, anyway, I, I, uh, I uh, playing to American audience is by far the best. They are so giving. And they laugh. Um, you know, they get, they get all the subtleties. And, and I, I love playing an American audience. You
0: know, it's funny you say that, because I had the honor of uh, producing my first play. Congratulations. And thank you very Why much. Wasn't I wasn't eyeing it. Is it because apart it's from a one-woman show about Wallace Simpson. Listen, I can play anything. I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> actually, it's down to two people right now. Oh, right. So
2: you're one of them. So <laughs> it's not over yet. Wallace Sims, you have to go. To, you have to be very skinny for that.
0: Yes, I know. And actually, our producer right here, Melissa, is the one who played the
2: part in uh, in uh, Edinburgh. Oh, really? You did in Edinburgh. Yes. When was that? When was that? When uh, did you do uh, that? Twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen. I was there with Bob Picardo doing a play called "A uh, Joke. Oh, okay, well, actually, we have to
0: take a break, but we're going to come back to that because I want to talk about a little bit about how my experience was working with the Scottish and English audience versus seeing the show produced here. It, it was very interesting to me as a psychologist. I'm Dr. G. We're going to be back right after the commercials. I used to have more hair. I used to have more colour. And I used to have cancer. I beat it. I did. Not alone. I used to have no idea what the American Cancer Society did. Research, yeah. But also free rides to chemo and free lodging near hospitals. I used to maybe give a little. Then I got so much back. I used to have cancer.
5: Please give at cancer.org.
1: Wendy's has been showing everyone how to do fast food right for 50 years, and now they're showing them how two-for-fives are done with Wendy's two-for-five. It's the only one where you can get Wendy's fresh, never-frozen beef and that Wendy's spicy chicken you crave. Pick two for five bucks. Choose between the juicy Dave Single, the tasty spicy chicken sandwich, 10-piece crispy or spicy nuggets. Come in today and taste how a real two-for-five is done, only at Wendy's. Fresh beef available in the contiguous U.S., Alaska, and Canada. The price and participation may vary for a limited time only.
4: 790. KABC.
5: Talk Radio 790. KABC News Update. I'm Steve Cummings.
3: When you're diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, a lot of questions run through your mind. What am I going to do? What are my options? What did I do wrong? We've had those thoughts too. But some questions can help you move forward. Visit findyourmbcvoice.com for an interactive guide to help you learn the next steps to take after an MBC diagnosis. And how to ask the questions that lead to an open and informed conversation with your doctor. Start finding your voice today at findyourmbcvoice.com.
1: Put the finishing touches on your home this holiday season and all year round with brand new window treatments from Blinds.com. From cellular shades, wood blinds, Roman shades, and more. Go to Blinds.com now through December 29th and save up to 40% off everything, plus get an extra $20 off with promo code LIGHT. That's up to 40% off everything, plus get an extra $20 off with promo code LIGHT. Blinds.com promo code LIGHT.
4: Rules and restrictions may apply. AM 790
5: KABC Talk Radio 790 KABC News Update. I'm Steve Cumming. Police in Texas, just north of Fort Worth, say there's no ongoing threat after a church shooting left the shooter dead and another injured. White Settlement Police Chief J.P. Beverling describes what happened. The preliminary reports indicated that the man entered the church and fired a weapon. A couple of members of the church returned fire. Uh, striking the suspect who died at the scene. The injured person is fighting for life. Local police and the FBI are trying to find the motive behind the attack. In a phone call today, Russian President Vladimir Putin thanked President Trump for tipping off Russian security about a possible terrorist attack. U.S. intelligence reportedly helped Russia thwart an attack planned in St. Petersburg during the New Year's Eve festivities. Two Russians have been arrested as suspects. KABC SoCal weather, mostly cloudy tonight with lows in the mid-40s to around 50 and a 50% chance of rain after midnight lasting into Monday morning. More news coming up in 30 minutes. Continuing coverage at KABC.com. I'm Steve Cumming, Talk Radio 790 KABC News. AM 790
4: KABC.
1: to The Shrink
0: and the Showman with Dr. gi I'm Dr. G. We're back with The Shrink and the Showman. Again, I want to wish everyone a Happy New Year or as a Happy Sylvester Day uh, to everyone now that we're going to uh, also use the Northern... Europe's name for New Year's. Yeah. So we are back here with uh, Sylvester McCoy. Before the break, Sylvester, we were talking about the difference between an American audience and an English audience. And I was going to, it's so interesting to me that you say that, because when Melissa performed uh, Wallace, uh, the show was called That Woman. There were so many times she had so many laughs when we did it in the States. And then when we came over to Scotland, it was just flat.
2: Yes, it, it, the, I, people say that um, British actors, you know, theatre actors, are really great. If that be true, I think the reason is the audience are really bad. Because you have to work really hard as an actor. To, it's like getting blood out of a stone. I mean, the, and, and the further south you go in England, the the less response you get. They're very um, and the. I've been in shows that were comedy shows and they were tried out in South London, nobody laughed. When we got to Manchester they were falling about laughing. I'm surprised about Scotland, but then the Edinburgh Festival is not Scotland as such. It's an international festival, and the audience tend to not be Scottish, but to come from all over the place, and maybe England as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. And actually, what I was told by someone who's our Scottish producer, they said to me, now I want you to go into the audience and start laughing, because if you start laughing, it gives the audience permission to start laughing.
2: Yes, also, there's a shyness as well amongst the audiences in Britain. Whereas in America, you just... Bang! And you're away. It's, well, it's very tr- much
0: the American thing, you know. Yeah. Whoosh, whoosh, yes. whoosh! They're right yeah. in your face. <laughs> so,
2: at
0: Love one it. of our breaks, we were talking about your travel. And I yes. uh, wanted you to share the story that you shared with me about your amazing travel that you've done.
2: Oh, well, yes. Last year, I was at the Edinburgh Festival, as like you yes. were. I saw and you I, there. I, the, and and I wish I did. The, 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 um, with Bob Cadu in a play called A Joke. When it finished, I jumped on a train from Edinburgh to London. I had a really ready pre-packed suitcase, and I set off from London to Paris, Paris to Moscow, branched off to St. Petersburg. I went to the ballet, and so... Um, the, the dying swan, uh, the sleeping, was the dying swan, yes, is that what it's called here? The right. famous, you know, Tchaikovsky's, yeah. you know, um, oh, anyway, yeah. but anyway. You've, it, you've been traveling a lot. You're I tired. know. <laughs> and they, but the, um, they changed the end because, you know, the swan usually dies at the end of it, but they had the crow that die at the end of it. They gave it a happy ending, which I thought was appalling. <laughs> but anyway, I went back to Moscow then I got on the Trans-Siberian Express and I went across Russia and all the way across I was sending little blogs to my sons and my agent. I'm not very up on, you know, all the, the new social technology media, right. and media. But my agent had been putting them up on the social media. And when I got to a certain station, like um, in Katerinburg, um, I was met by Dalek. You know, from the from you know, Doctor Who, a Russian Dalek, and I kept, and I, I was amazed. And then I realised it's Siberia, and where should you send Daleks, the enemy of Doctor Who? But to Siberia. So I carried on to Mongolia, and then through Mongolia into China. I went to Beijing and had Peking Duck in Beijing. Okay. <laughs> they haven't changed the name. Okay. It's still right, called right, Peking right, Duck right. in Beijing. And then I went down to Hanoi, and then went to greet my granddaughter, who arrived in Bangkok a week before my first grandchild. And the reason why I did it was a you know carbon footprint thing and also a bucket list thing.
0: So what did you get out of that experience? So let's say if I played psychologist right now, how did it enrich your life? What did you get out of it?
2: Well, I got out of it that um, the Russians are lovely people, friendly, and and especially in Siberian areas where you meet them, they thank you for coming. They're so pleased you came, and it was very touching that you know they you know they they obviously don't get a lot of um, you know people coming people through come, right. You know, I mean, Moscow is great and um, beautiful city, as is um, Saint Petersburg. But for me, what did it do? Well, it kind of I like a challenge, really. And there were some some uncomfortable times, you know, physically uncomfortable times. And when I got through it, I was really good, "Yes, I did it." You know, I kind of I think that's my um, my bag, really. I set off on doing impossible things and. Trying to achieve them, or if somehow something impossible comes my way, I think I'm not going to run away from this. I'm going to see if I can make my way.
0: I think that's a great uh, message to share with our audience too. That you know, there's two ways usually life happens. I think it either comes to you, like yeah. you said, and then you take the challenge and you work outside your comfort zone. Not so much so that you're riddled with anxiety, but enough to know I know I can do this. Yeah. I can move forward. I can take this chance. It could be exciting. And uncomfortable at the same time. And also this sense of, you know, following your gut. Like, this is just who you are. It seems like, to me at least, that's been the story of your
2: career, that you just follow your gut. It has, yes i uh, my problem is I always say yes to everything and then try and work out how to get out of it afterwards.
0: <laughs> yeah, actually, you know what? Um, I was <laughs> I read that somewhere about you, and you know what? I kind of have that same experience. I've taken on jobs where people have said to me, "Well, you know, Doctor G, are you? You know, how did you become an expert in schizophrenia?" And I go, "Well, I got a job.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> I needed to pay my mortgage." Well, thank goodness you didn't. Someone didn't ask you to become a brain surgeon. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Oh, yes, I'll do that. <laughs> well, that's a, yeah, exactly.
0: That's a great point because I sort of knew I could do it, yeah. but I was willing to take that kind of chance. Um, I know I have here a couple of quotes of yours, so I'm going to surprise you with them. I was able to find them. Uh, and actually, one of them was, if anyone asks me to do a job, I say yes. I've said yes to everything. So that is uh Kind of the story of your life, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, what, about, what other lessons can you share with us as I look for your quotes? All right. <laughs> the lessons? lessons of life. Oh, god. Oh, I like this one. When I was in seminary, they said I should be an actor, but at the same time, I wanted to be a priest because I wanted to be important in people's lives. I had the quiet ambition to be something noted and notable. Then the part of Doctor Who arrived. In some way, I think science fiction is a replacement for religion for some people.
2: Yes, no, I I, I believe that. People said to me, why is Doctor Who so successful? And I said, well, they say there are seven stories under the sun and mankind's genius is to retell them in wonderful and brilliant ways. And one of them is about someone coming from outside the world, taking on a human form and battling against evil. And, you know, religions have started on it. Uh, You know, and that's why I think Doctor Who's like that. He came from the Palan at Gallifrey. He comes down to Earth. He takes on the human form and he tries to do good and help the human race. And, you know, people are very attracted to that particular story. And they're very attracted, I
0: think, to people that are willing to take on that uh, mission. Yes, yeah. It becomes kind of exciting and interesting for them. Yeah. And I believe becoming an actor a lot of times is, you know, to go sort of full circle a little bit, sort of has replaced for a lot of people what religion had done for them at one point. Yes. It's a cathartic experience. You bring people into the theater. They have an emotional experience. They relate to the actors of what they're going through, and they can kind of experience their lives as they go through that process with the actor.
2: Yeah. So once I was walking down the street, and this very handsome elderly woman stopped me, and she said, "You're an actor." And, uh, yes. yes. <laughs> and she said, "I want to thank you." She said, "Because what you do, you actors, is you take us out of ourselves for two and a half hours, and we, you know, we you take us to another place, and uh, you know, you just transport us." And she said, "Thank you, thank you." And I'd never thought of it in that way. I mean, I said, "Oh, I didn't realize." I say, I'm again, it goes tr- go to the theater. I was just trying to remember my lines. Yes, and- yeah, but in the theatre, I was trying to remember my lines and not bump into the furniture. Right. So
0: Doctor Who is about bumping into the aliens. In well, the you've theater.
2: got to bump into the aliens, otherwise you have got no story. Uh, exactly.
0: <laughs> so uh, again, let me ask you this: what, What's happening in the future with you? Uh, where? How should we follow you?
2: Well, I've just finished a film. I was supposed to do some ADR in in, uh, in Hollywood, but um, that's been cancelled. I have now got to do it back in England. I'm in a film called um, Owners, The Owners, uh, with uh, Maisie Williams, who's one of the leads from Game of Thrones. Okay. And for those that are much older, they'll remember um, Rita Tushingham, who was in, um, breaking through films like... Um, Touch of Love and uh, The Girl with Green Eyes and Dr. Zhivago and things like that. Um, So she's, uh, you know... I'm, that's what I'm. I've just done, and that's coming out next year. I hope I'm going back to Scotland. I'm going to Glencoe, where there was a terrible massacre, where the Campbells massacred the McDonalds. It's a dark and dark and d- d- doomy place, and I'm going there in January to do a wee bit of filming. Okay. And I'm doing it because I think it must be. It's you know exciting.
0: It sounds exciting. It sounds fun. You know, we have a caller calling in, so I want to be able to take them and hear what they have to say. Indeed. So I'm going to welcome them to the show. This is Dr. G. We're here with Sylvester McCoy. Oh, actually the caller just hung up, so we're going to do it a little bit later. So this dark and dreary
2: place yes, into the Glencoe. unconscious. Yes, I don't know if you know it's a, an infamous story in the history of Britain. Um, no, I'm not I'm not familiar with it. Well, when uh, Bonnie Prince Charlie and the uh, was defeated and the uh, the, the George the Third, or, or maybe it was William III, Third. It's a German king, anyway. He decreed that all Scots had to write all Scottish tribes, tribes, um, you know, clans, as it were. The heads had to write allegiance to that king and send it to Edinburgh. And if they didn't do it by a certain time, uh, terrible things might happen. Well, anyway, in Glencoe, which is very cut off from the west coast of Scotland, Edinburgh's away over in the east. He uh, he had sent her in his letter, but it never got there. So the our Duke of Argyle, who was, you know, very much a king, the German king's man, he sent out his troops to visit these people, these Macdonalds of Glencoe. And, of course, being Highlanders, they had greeted them. And so for three days and three nights, these Campbells, I ate, dined with the McDonald's, and then in the last night, they got up in the middle of the night and massacred all of them. So it was a dark and. <laughs> well, I'm terrible not happy note,
0: we're going to break to commercial, yes. but it's like, that's great. You know, befriend someone first and. They get massacred after. And then bring them into your trust and yeah. then massacre them after. <laughs> there goes our, th- our Thanksgiving. You know, a lot of people have that feeling over family yes. gatherings. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Dr. G. We're going to be back right after the commercials.
3: This is a special alert to all Americans who own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles with an auto warranty about to expire or with no warranty coverage at all. Due to a decline in the economy, Protect My Car is announcing a low-cost extended service plan that is now available to the public to save any driver out-of-pocket expenses on auto repairs. Call now to find out how you can pay nothing for auto repairs. Yes, you heard that correctly. Pay nothing for auto repairs. An open phone line has been established for all drivers to call for a free quick quote. Call 800-773-5124 now. Drivers who are covered by Protect My Car will not have to pay for a covered repair bill again. This auto coverage is at an all-time low, much lower than what dealerships are charging. Additionally, drivers who activate this auto coverage today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and free car rental at no additional cost. Call Protect My Car for your free quick quote today. 800-773-5124. 800-773-5124. What do you have to lose? Again, 800-773-5124. If you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, please call this toll-free number right now, 800-390-9528. That's 800-390-9528. By calling your addiction team, you're taking the first steps to recovery. The help you need could be one call away. 800-390-9528. Make the free call now, 800-390-9528. Your addiction team is a third-party advertiser for various treatment centers and placement networks in and- O'Reilly's Auto Parts.
4: Morning 6 to 10 are getting a makeover. Starting January 2nd, Armstrong and Getty join the KABC lineup. Yep, it's the news of the day, the issues, the controversies, but not boring. If I talk about impeachment too much, my head pops off. What about John? <laughs> Don't worry, you'll still be able to get John Phillips right at noon. Oh uh, yeah! Sandwiched in between Larry and Ben, it's a new lineup for a new year, starting January second on AM seven ninety KABC. Get 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 it right! AM seven ninety KABC. Lobbying for you, Larry O'Connor. On the Larry O'Connor Show, we focus on Southern California issues because Hollywood is a great place to be, but we also focus on Washington because it's Hollywood for ugly people. The Larry O'Connor Show, weekdays 10 to noon, AM 790-K-ABC.
1: You're listening to The Shrink and the Showman with Dr. G.
0: Hi, I'm Dr. G. We're here with The Shrink and The Showman. Our number is 1-800-222-5222. You can email us at engage790 at gmail.com. Follow us on social media at The Dr. G Show, Facebook and Instagram, at Dr. Gluss on Twitter, and join our live stream on Facebook at The Dr. G Show. I also want to uh, give a shout-out to one of our sponsors. That is uh, Tanya McKenzie at Sand & Shores PR. She really is a storyteller more than anything else, and she uses your story to help make the connection between you and your target audience. She'll help you grow your business or public image in an authentic and powerful way. So you got to contact uh, Tanya McKenzie at Sand & Shores. It's 424. 262-1920. 2621920 that's 424 1920 i also want to say that starting in 2020 on january 5th i'm going to be premiering my new show and it is called rock with the doc and i am not the rock but i am the doc and I'm going to be doing one-on-one interviews, and we're going to rock it out with artists and entertainment professionals about their journeys, what they've been through, and how they've struggled and sort of made it to the other side. The focus of our show is going to be the vision of mental health awareness and helping promote it in the entertainment industry. So I hope you'll uh, be there for our first show on January 5th. It will be with Wes Gear, who uh, was the guitarist with Korn, the metal band. I always want to say corn with a K oh, right. <laughs> in case people get it confused. So in our last segment, uh, Sylvester, you brought up an interesting story to me. I wonder if you could share it with our audience about your thoughts about what's going on for you internally at this stage in your life.
2: Well, you see, I'm kind of old Imagine admitting that in Hollywood. (laughs) I know. I mean, I must be very brave. It's hard to hit 50 in Hollywood. I know. I'm either very brave or I need a psychiatrist. (laughs) Oh, by the way. Oh, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I'm I'm, I'm 76, and yet I continuously travel. I go off on long, uh, epic travels, and I've always liked traveling. I've always wanted to explore the other side, see what's over on the other side of the the hill. Um, And... But, but I kept questioning myself, why am I doing this? Am I, am I running away from something or am I running towards something? And it's always a question that goes in, on my mind when I sometimes think, why am I doing this? Why am I going to the other ends of the earth?
0: My first instinct when you said that was I was thinking about sort of the internal process of actors that a lot of times when you take on a part, it is a journey, and you go to those extremes and try to discover things about the character. And sometimes it can be a simple uh, gesture, like getting a rubber egg and putting it under Ian McKellen's uh, bottom. Behind, bottom. I was trying to think the proper word we could say now.
2: Well, bottom is a Shakespearean word because bottom was in what was Knight. a big character. And uh, well, I'll tell you a story about that if you want. Finish your thought, and then come back to bottom.
0: Okay, but I was just saying, you know what, Sylvester, and then we have a caller after, but I want to hear your story first. Yeah. I think what you're doing sort of internally is just being expressed externally that life is a journey and being an actor is a journey and discovering things about yourself. And what acting does, I think that's so exciting for a lot of people, is that they get to be different people at different times and different places. Yeah. And uh, with each experience of playing a character, I'm sure it also uh, leaves its mark on you on a personal level so to me uh you know just from an advice level i would say you know keep going on these journeys uh and both internally and externally because what else is there really when you think about it yeah so maybe i don't think you're running away from anything oh good and i'll send you the bill in the morning Splendid. <laughs> what was the story about bottom you were going to tell well
2: you? i was in um i was in an opera with um it was called it was Midsummer Night's Dream by Benjamin Britten oh, most beautiful opera I played Puck Okay. and in it was one of the great basses of his time he was a Welshman Garrant Evans he was a very strong Welshman of a great wonderful Welsh accent and he, um, he uh, in opera actors specialise in roles I mean singers specialise in roles and they do them all their life and he's, I mean, he played King Lear in the opera King Lear and he could play Bottom in Midsummer Night's Dream and one day he said to me he said oh you know Boy, we said, uh, I've done very well out of my leer. Okay. And I smiled, and he said, he said, but I've made a fortune out of my bottom. And I <laughs> you started know, I've heard to laugh. Plenty of people say that here in Hollywood. I started, yeah, but they were they were talking about something else. No, yeah. Yeah, but he was talking about the character he's playing, and I started to laugh, you know, but he had no sense of humor. He didn't realize what he'd said was rather amusing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's why I picked up on it, too. Yeah. You know, we have Becky calling in right now from uh, Texas, actually, so I'm going to welcome her to the show. She has a question for you. Hello. Hello, Becky hello Becky it's a pleasure to have you on
3: oh thank you for having me on I just wanted to know um huge fan of yours but um what was it like working with Lawrence
2: Olivier
0: <laughs> well um let's hear it again no you had a great story do you have other stories oh right I mean I told that story yeah that's okay let's tell it again because sometimes people tune in at different times of the show
2: all oh, right okay <laughs> Um, well, it was um, not the most uh, wonderful experience uh, I've ever had, really. Uh, he was—he um, took against me. Um, and I remember telling a fellow actor of mine, you know, Lance, he didn't seem to like me. He said, oh, he said, it's just one old upstager working with a young upstager. So that kind of helped me through. Well, that's great that you got the encouragement that you needed. So, uh, Becky,
0: were we able to answer your question? Yeah, thank you. Uh, Thank you very much for calling in. Well, that's true. A lot of times what happens is uh, people uh, tune into the shows at different times. But it's interesting when you think of uh, such a legend and you bring it down to the fact that, well... Yeah, he might have been a legend, but he was trying to upstage
2: me. Yes, no, it was interesting, though, because, I mean, he was, you know, I think insecure, deep insecurity to be like that, to worry about someone like me, you know, and also he had a reputation of not, of, you know, Putting down people, you know he he was he was a, well, ma- an a marathon man. Yeah, and what was it? Uh, Dustin Hoffman was in it. Dustin Hoffman, right? Uh, Dustin Hoffman was kind of you know doing old method and getting himself into the part. And Olivier put him down by saying, "Oh, have you ever heard of acting, dear boy?" <laughs> you know, and he was kind of that kind of guy. It's uh, and there are even in this century, actors, great actors who I won't name, who you know who seem to be full of insecurity and they're brilliant
0: you know and that's so interesting because no matter how much success you have or notoriety or fame it doesn't seem to go away yeah and you think it would if you it had would, all yeah. that like yeah. if you were Lawrence olivia you would think yeah. you know how much uh, uh sort of bigger more famous um, can you be in the yeah. world and yet the insecurity doesn't necessarily go away i've actually found that working with uh a lot of actors uh, from the other side from behind the couch so to speak that the success a lot of times can heighten their insecurity because they think that the success is going to cure it yeah. but actually it makes them more insecure because exactly. now they've got to yeah. live up to the hype yeah. or they've got to be something that really internally they feel they cannot be yeah so that would be a great message to give to people out there um, you know who are trying to get a career in the entertainment industry is that uh, make sure you take care of your stuff because your career is not necessarily going to heal it yeah. it may actually make it worse so we have a, just a few minutes left I'm wondering if there are any uh, parting thoughts you want to leave with our audience stay well stay well be happy yeah go on that journey yes and um, travel by train
2: well you cut your say- carbon footprint
0: you get to see more if you travel you by
2: train. And you meet sociable people on the train.
0: So if people wanted to find out more about your work or how they may get in touch with you through social media, etc., how could they do so?
2: Well, I think I'm, I'm on Facebook and Twitter, although I'm not directly on it. I'm one step away from it. My agent deals with it. I mean, the only thing I know about Twitter is...
0: Right, right.
2: <laughs> That's a little bird from The Hobbit... Just done a poo in my head.
0: Are there any other moments you could share with us from The Hobbit?
2: Any other moments? Um, Well, there were lots of moments. There was um, when I first arrived there. I was the only actor in this scene and it was, they built a whole set, a whole forest for me, and a beautiful little higgledy piggledy house, and they gave me some stuffed animals, and they said improvise, and I did, and I thought wow, this scene is going to be up on the biggest screens in the world, in three dimensions, and it's only me, no other actors on it, right. and they gave me this um, the, um, hedgehog, you know, it was supposed to be dying hedgehog, and it was stuffed hedgehog and I was reacting to it and giving it medicine and improvising stuff, and then I go along to see them on that night and my sons are with me, and I say, oh this is the I'm going to be so proud. No one else would be on the screen except me. But the Wizards of Wetter had got hold of the Hedgehog, and they turned this Hedgehog into this poor little Tweety little lovey dovey little Hedgehog. No one was looking at me. Everyone was looking at that damned Hedgehog. I wish I'd killed the damn thing. <laughs>
0: there you go. But at least you had your moment with Olivier. Oh no, you didn't get your moment. He got his moment.
2: Yes. No, I did actually do some other scenes with him in this film. But (laughs) Olivia wasn't with the Hedgehog. No, no, I know. Otherwise, if if
0: that was Olivia... That would be an interesting combination, (laughs) wouldn't (laughs) it? You know, Sylvester, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Pleasure. Thank Uh, you. More than anything, what I wanted to share with you is that your story, I know, will be such an inspiration to our audience because it's so important for people to hear what motivates people in their career, what makes them move forward, the adventures that you go on, both literally and sort of in your mind and you know, even spiritually, because that experience of yourself constantly recreating yourself is just so amazing, so I want to tell you i don't think you're running away from anything, I think you're running towards things so i th- I hope you have many more uh fantastic experiences. To run towards
2: thank you very much
0: i'm dr g we're here with the shrink and the showman i want to wish everyone a happy new year and a happy sylvester day we'll be back uh with uh, with rock with the Dock right after the new year this show
3: furnished by Keylight counseling center